Dear Father, be our vision. Well, that's our prayer. Be our vision this new year. You know what our hearts are longing for. You saw all those words spread out over that screen in that prayer cloud. You're the only one that can answer those big needs, big-ticket items. We humbly call upon you to do just that. You start in your own priority. We're here to let you know we're going with you, and please, would you go with us? In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody here speak Latin? Probably not. Latin. If you're a baby boomer like I am, then you know that you grew up as a kid speaking pig Latin. No resemblance, of course, between the two. Okay. I found out yesterday that the Spanish also have pig Latin. But this is real Latin. I'm going to put a Latin word on the screen for you. Renovare. Oh, it sounds like a word from Italy. Renovare. Well, it is. Renovare. What does it mean? To make new, re, again. From whence comes the English word reno, renovate. Do we say vate or just renovate? Let's just renovate. Okay. So the English word to make new again. That's what it means. Perfect word for the story we're about to share. Provocative narrative. Whoa. And is it the right word? Open your Bible with me, please, to the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 1. Judges, chapter 6, verse 1. I hope you brought your Bible. That's what we do around here. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a pew in front of you. Grab that pew Bible because it's, it's better to see the word right under your nose than to watch it on a screen. So this is uh, Judges, chapter 6, verse 1, NIV. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands, uh-oh, of the Midianites. Uh-oh is right, because we surely have heard this before. Oh, yep, we have. In fact, I want to show you in a moment the, a graph of the book of Judges. I read Judges through this summer. So next Sabbath, we're going to be back in the book of Judges for our new students. But here's a graph of the book of Judges, because this is the way it goes. It starts out with this real mountaintop experience with God, and boy, backsliding takes you all the way down, slip sliding away all the way down to the bottom. And then... Uh, renovate, make new again. And then they, the community of faith climbs back up, has another mountaintop experience. Those little dots up and down aren't just a day. They could be 10 years. They could be 50 years. But that is the graph for the book of, Joseph, uh, book of Judges. And in fact, Judges actually begins not in Judges, but in the last chapter of Joshua. So keep your finger right here because we'll be right back. But the last chapter of Joshua sets the book of Judges up. Take a look at this. Old man Joshua, he's almost 110. He'll die at 110. The intrepid leader of the armies of Israel. He calls leaders from all across this conquered now, our own promised land. And he's pouring out his heart. This is his last will and testament to the leaders who take over. And near the end, very famous ending to his speech. You know this. Near the end, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua speaking, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, come on, we can do this one out loud. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The whole Christian world knows of that appeal to make a decision. Go on record. As for me and my house, 
But the NIV says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you know what the children of Israel did? They cried out with this mighty, amen. Joshua said, yeah, amen, right. I know about you guys. And they come back in verse 21. The people said, no, 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 no. We will, verse 21 on the screen there, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, well, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Oh, yes, we're witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, I heard your yes, but throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel, because I know you. I've been inside your tents. I know you have those gods hidden away. you got to throw. Guys, you can't keep those gods. We're going with the main God here. Throw them away. And the people come back in verse 24. Oh, no, Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey him. Turns out Joshua knew them better than they knew themselves because, boom, the book of Judges comes. And let's see that graph again. Here's what you're up to all the way through the book of Judges. But this time, they're down again. As we just read in chapter 6, they're down, and God says, I'm going to make a move. And guess what? This time, God himself shows up. Go figure. Yep. Back to chapter 6, where you were. Back to chapter 6, drop down to verse 11. God, the Almighty One, shows up in verse 11, and the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak. Now, the angel of the Lord is code language in the Old Testament. Most often, it is code language for the second person of the Godhead, the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus before he's Jesus. That's who this is. In fact, I don't have to take you to the burning bush where it says the angel of the Lord cried out of the flames, take your shoes off, you're in divine presence. I don't have to take you back there because if you just drop down to verse 14, they drop the angel part and they just say the Lord is chatting with Gideon. But it starts out, the angel of the Lord who will be implanted as a little seed inside a teenage womb and a little girl named Mary, and she will give birth to Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. So, verse 13, then verse 11, rather, then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiar's right where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Pause button again. Give me a break. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What's up with that? Well, because seven years, iron grip, Midian, Gideon has learned that if you do anything above ground, the, the, the spies, the terrorists will spot it, and as soon as it's threshed, they'll, they'll rob it, rob him blind, and he'll have no harvest for the family. So he's down in a hole, shifting, threshing his wheat. And verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, I love this, he, the one who's going to become Jesus, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty man, mighty warrior. And Gideon, once he's over the shock, of somebody being in his private space. You know, he's looking up to the top of the hole where the angel's looking down at him. Mighty warrior. Gideon. So human. Just, I love the first, the very words out of, the next words out of Gideon's mouth, verse 13. Pardon me. Excuse me. What do you mean? Mighty warrior. I love God because God looks at you not a whole lot of promise in you and me. He will look at us and he'll call us names that in his mind are already reality. 
He will look at us and he'll say, hmm, great leader. I am no great leader. Yes, you are. And Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, God calls into existence that which does not exist yet. So he says, I see a great, I see a great leader in her. He's, he says, I see a great warrior in him. He says, I see my beloved son in him, my beloved daughter. And the moment he calls you that, guess what? That's what you are. You are what God calls you because he's omnipotent. <laughs> We're harder on ourselves than God ever th- it dreamed to be. You're a mighty warrior. <gasps> Pardon me. Oh, boy. Listen to Gideon now. Gideon replies, but if the Lord, this is verse 13, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Come on, God. If you're the Lord of the church, why is the church in the mess it's in right now? Come on, God. If this is your school and we're your people, why are we in the troubles we're in? Come on, let's be honest. To be human is to immediately, if if, if there's anything shaky, shaky going on, ooh, God, God must have left us. How could could the Lord be with us, Gideon says. He says, I know the golden years, and he starts talking about the golden years there. Oh, the years when they walked across the Red Sea, and they had all these mighty miracles. There are no golden years left. We've run out of them. We're down to the last remnant. And why aren't you with us? God listens. Go ahead. Talk to me. Talk to me. And God responds. Verse 14. And the Lord now. See, there's no angel now. It's the Lord turned to him. And he said, oh, no, I love this for everybody that's a part of Andrews University. I love this line. Go in the strength you have. I was sitting on that front row just a moment ago, and my Bible opened to that line. And the Lord said, Dwight, I'm talking to you right there. Go in the strength you have. You can't go in the strength you don't have. We, have. we have mega universities in this land with billion-dollar endowments. No luck here. I don't need those endowments, God says. Go, in this, go with what you have. Go with the strength you have, Andrews University, because I'm sending you. Go into all the world for me. Go in the strength you have. Oh, I love that. Verse 15. Oh, pardon me. Boy, this guy is a little bit, he's not very polite. Keeps interrupting. This is pardon me, number two. Excuse me. Verse 13, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered and said, yo, Gideon, I will be with you. What else do you want? I will be with you. Okay, okay. You know, I'm not sure what's going on here, but listen, instructions, stay right there. Don't you go anywhere. I'm going to go get you some food, and I'll be right back. And that's what happens. Some hours have to obviously take place. But I love what God, I love what God says to Gideon when he says, now, obey me, stay right there. Look at the end of verse 18, not putting it on the screen. And the Lord said, I will wait for you to return. The remarkable, unflappable leisure of Almighty God when we're at the bottom of the graph. And he says, don't worry about it. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. For some of you here today, he's been waiting a long, long time. He keeps hoping you'll come back. It's been years. I will wait for you. 
Don't think he'll wait forever. He can't. Don't play the waiting game with God. Big mistake. What's that? How's that song? That little song go? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? You don't want to play that waiting game forever. It's dangerous. If he's been waiting for you, today would be a great day to return. So you wait right there, and boy, Gideon disappears. Takes a couple hours to get that kid goat, Dr. Holly. That kid goat has to be prepared for edible food and then some unleavened bread. Gideon has it all together. He comes back. Sure enough, the leisurely God is still there. And he spreads it out on the rock in front of him and then very wisely steps back. And God, keeping his eyes on Gideon the whole time, because God wants to see Gideon's face when this one happens, God, keeping his eyes on Gideon, just takes the little tip of his staff that he's holding in his hand, and he just reaches out, and he touches the offering that has just been placed on that rock. And when he touches, boom, there's an explosion of fire within the rock. Everything is gone, and so is the angel. Gideon knows in whose presence he has been jabbering, and he hits the ground, and he is, he is, I'm I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I've seen the living God face to face, and I'm going to die. And God, who never, remember he said, I'm with you, he's still there. Oh, you got to see this, where is that? Uh, But the Lord said to him, this is verse 23, but the Lord, so Gideon's just panicking away, and the Lord said to him, Gideon, get a grip, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. It's the very words the Jesus who became Jesus would say when he steps on Resurrection Sunday night into the panicky upper room. He says, yo, yo, shalom, peace. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Wow. And now comes the part of the story that everybody forgets. Come on, I, I tell you the truth. Everybody either doesn't know it or has forgotten it because everybody knows that Gideon is that Bible guy that had 300 men, started out with 10,000, and God says, too many, too many, too many, too many, too many. Well, God, you got a problem? What's the problem? He says, I don't want your fingerprints on any of this. This has to look like I did it, Gideon. Down to 300. God, what am I going to do with 300? Well, you need to find 300 trumpets, 300 clay jars, 300 lit torches, and then I'll tell you what to do. And he did. Everybody knows the story because the element in this divine strategy is the element of surprise. Have you noticed that? It's the element of surprise. So we have this friend who turned 40, such an old person. She turned 40, and, and her husband, a little bit conniving behind the scenes with her friends, arranged for the night of her birthday for the friends to show up after she has fallen to sleep. Yep. With friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Yeah. So we all show up. We got trumpets. We got cymbals. We got noisemakers galore. And we're now all in the bedroom. (laughs) And we go, okay, three, two, one. And there is this explosion, this cacophony of weird sounds. And I'm telling you what. (laughs) Levitation. (laughs) No, no, I'm serious. Levitation with the limbs flailing. (laughs) 
Oh, my. So, so what's the big deal? Uh, you see, the element of surprise can make you do things no rational person would logically do if in your sleep you are suddenly awakened to loud noise. So your heart is bum, 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 bum. And that's exactly what happened to the Midian soldiers. I'm telling you, that was a strategy. 300 fireflies in the dark, 100, 100, 100. The ch clay jars break, make a sound, an awful sound. The shofars go up to the lips. It sounds like a herd of elephants coming from three directions. And the Midianites destroy themselves, 300 men and 10,000 angels. And God did it. God won big time, which makes you wonder why it is we have such a hard time trusting Him to win today. How come, how come He can't win today? Why, why can't the same God win today? Can he, put, can he do anything He wants? Of course. Yeah, but there's a part of the story essential to this massive divine victory that most people forget or do not know at all, so I want you to see it. So, go, so you're in chapter 6, verse 25, the, the, the day the angel of the Lord showed up. This is now the night of that same day. Verse 25, that same night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal the pagan god, and cut down the Asherah pole, that is an occult phallic symbol of evil, cut that baby down beside it. And then, next, next instructions, build up an altar to me. I'm asking you to do that. The, 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 the instructions are simple. I want you to get rid of all your household gods. Do you understand that, Gideon? Before we deal with the Midianites, we need to deal with the Israelites. You want a big victory? This is the deal. Because leadership is not only about saying yes to God, it is also about saying no to the gods, to the gods. How does that read? And the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon after he removed. Oh, you said, Dwight, that spirit doesn't come after. Oh, I beg to differ with you. Drop down to verse 34. Getting in between verses, he has eliminated all the gods. They're gone, destroyed. And then we read verse 35, and the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and he summoned the Abiezerites. He summoned them to follow him. Isn't that something? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon after he removed the other gods, because that's what it means to be a moral leader. Now, come on. That's what it means. Moral leaders know stuff has to go out before the Spirit can come in. Yeah, Dwight, then what, what's this kind of stuff that has to go out? <laughs> a moral leader already knows. She knows. He knows. Nobody has to tell him. Once Gideon removed the gods in his house in obedience to God, it opens the door to his heart, and the Spirit of the living God comes in when the other gods go out. This is nothing new. Our beloved Lord Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord, made flesh in his beautiful Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes this statement, no one can serve two masters. Nope, you can't. For you will love the one and hate the other, or you will love the other and hate the one. You can't serve Christ and Satan. Can't be done. Impossible. You're either one or the other. And Paul comes along and says, you nailed it. 
Lord Jesus, you nailed it. Second Corinthians. Oh, I love this in the, uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message Rendition. You're going to love it too. Put it on the screen for you. This is Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses uh, 14 through 18, all right? This is from The Message. Eugene Peterson, don't become partners with those who reject God. He's giving a little counsel to the church. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? Now, there are going to be a series of rhetorical questions. There's the first one. That's not a partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Question mark. Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Can you see Jesus and Satan whistling together, walking down the same path? I mean, please. Next line, do trust and mistrust hold hands? Here's another question. Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that's exactly what we are. Each of us is a temple in whom God lives, and God himself put it this way. And Paul grabs five lies, five lines out of the Old Testament, and now here they come. God speaking, I will live in them, move into them, I will be their God, and they will be my people at Andrews University. They will be my people. I'm moving in. So leave the corruption and the compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master, God, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen of Anders University and worshipers, that is what it means to be a moral leader, because moral leaders know stuff has to go out before the Spirit can come in. It's exactly what happened to, had to happen to Israel. You want to, see, you want to see where the big turnaround on the graph comes? It's a few pages after Gideon. I'm going to show you. Chapter 10, our last verse together. Chapter 10, Judges. Here's how God turns it around. But the Israelites said to the Lord, they're down at the bottom. We have sinned. We've blown it. We recognize it now. We have sinned. We should have called on you a long time ago. We've sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. We can't save ourselves. We've tried every trick in the book. We can't save ourselves. George Knight has occupied this campus for a few days making the same point. We can't save ourselves. You'll have to step in and rescue us. Wow. And then in an act of collective moral leadership, this is stunning. This is really stunning because this is the whole community now. Then verse 16, they got rid of the foreign gods among them and they served the Lord. No one has to tell them, hey, listen, these are the gods and this is their big God. They, know, they already know. Nobody has to come to us and tell us, now, these are the gods and this is the big God. We already know. We know in our heart of hearts. Nobody has to tell us. Collective moral leadership takes out the gods so that the Spirit of Almighty God, singular, can come in and rescue us. That's what moral leadership is all about. And by the way, if you're wondering how can I have power to be a moral leader on this campus, there is a mysterious clue embedded in the last line of verse 16. Look at that last line. 
and he, God, could bear Israel's misery no longer. Boy, I love that. I see what you're going through. I know it hurts. Enough is enough. You've told me. You've shown me. You're serious. We'll get out of this place together, you and me. But there's a word embedded there that you don't see in the English. And I'm going to put it up beside another line in Scripture. We'll put it on the screen for you. So at the top of the screen, you see, and the Lord could bear Israel's misery no longer. That word for misery is the Hebrew word amah. Interestingly enough, that word appears in the great Calvary chapter, Isaiah 53 of the Old Testament. This is the Messiah. This is the second person of the Godhead who will become Savior of the world. In that chapter, these words are now in in verse 11. Look at that. After the suffering, there's the word. Suffering, misery, it's the same word, Amma. After the Messiah's suffering of his soul, he, the Savior, will bear our iniquities. I'll take your misery. It's moving me to tears. I'll come down there. I'll take your misery, and I'll put your misery on me. And that is what Calvary has done in advance of our existence. The God of the universe has gone to Calvary, climbed up onto that crimson throne, and died a sacrifice. The supreme moral leader of the universe dies to not only save his people, but to call them, you and me, to moral leadership. When you go to the cross, all the power you need to be the moral leader that God is calling you to be on your campus, all the power you need is in Calvary, where God has borne our misery, our sins, to set us free. It's the gospel. At the bottom of the graph, it's the gospel that turns that graph into renovate, renovate, to make new again. And so today, it's appropriate that you and I respond to the biblical call for moral leadership. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today, we're doing something we've never done before, and I'm so glad you're here for it. We've been doing this with the freshmen now for five years. This will be the sixth year. Next Friday night, a week from last night, we're going to do this with the freshmen. You see these plaques on the walls? They represent not all of them because we've gone past uh, the four-year cycle. But a hanging high overhead is the next plaque to go up. It'll take the place of the cross because that's the sequential cycle. And this, this banner declares to make new again. That's what God is offering us today. And moral leadership says, I'll go on the, I'll, I'll, put my, I'll put myself on the line. I will be that leader on this campus. Whether you're a faculty member, a staff member, it doesn't matter. You're a student, it doesn't matter. Moral leadership is a call for all community member, it doesn't matter. It's all our calling. But we invited the faculty, staff, and private school teachers and public school teachers, that's Ruth Murdoch and Anders Academy, plus public school teachers, homeschool teachers. We invited them along with everybody that's employed by Andrews University in first service to come forward. And their names are already on that plaque. 
It's now your turn, and I'm going to make an invitation. If God is calling you, and by the way, you will write with a red pen that will be withdrawn. The freshmen will not be able to use red next Friday night. The only people that are using red are the leaders of this university, administration, staff and faculty, teachers all over Berrien County, civic leaders. You'll be handed a red pen. Let's bring it down. You'll be handed a red pen, and you'll have the opportunity now to join these who have signed their names. This is not some big thing so that you can just be so proud of having your name up there. Of course, it's wonderful that your name is there. This is about saying to Jesus, Red, by the grace of your Calvary sacrifice, I will be the moral leader you have called me to be. By your grace, so help me God. That's what it is. We'll do it together. The freshman will say, wait a minute, have you already used this? Yes, we have. Those are your leaders on this campus who went ahead of you as leaders do. I'm going to invite you right now to start coming out. Come on. At the, at the very end, the president of this university, Andrea Luxton, she will lead us in a prayer of dedication. But if you are employed by this university, trust me, this is going to take time, and I'd start coming from the back of the balcony right now if you want to go on record as a moral leader for this university. Come on up. Pastors are going to be handing out these pens. Get a pen. Walk right up to that, to that banner. Affix your name anywhere on it you wish. But when you affix it, you're saying, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I will be a moral leader on this campus this new year. And the God of heaven will, who registers it, not this one, the God of heaven who registers it will equip you to be the moral leader you need to be. This is going to take a little bit of time. Don't leave. We're going to be singing. Adriana, the chairman of our music department and her team are going to lead us now in some singing. When the last person is signed, Dr. Luxon will come and she will lead us in a prayer dedication. But keep singing now. The words will go on the screen. Lift up your heart in dedication to our Lord Jesus Christ. Red pens. Thy precious bleeding soul. 
our Lord and our God. Many of us just many of us have just signed our names. And we have not done it lightly. We've done it because we truly do want you to be part of our year ahead. Lord, this morning we pray for your forgiveness. We pray for forgiveness for those times when we have not fully grasped the depth and breadth of your care for us and our community and your desire to lead us. We pray for forgiveness for the times where our priorities have got wrong-sided and we put other things ahead of you and your leadership. And Lord, we pray for forgiveness when we have done what we thought was right, but we have not listened to you carefully enough. And now as we move into this year, we do so asking that we may learn more about your love, your grace, your peace, that that may be what is seen on this campus. May everyone who comes through this place truly know that for this university and for this church, we will choose to serve the Lord. Bless us now, Lord. Lead us. Help us listen to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.